Hi everybody, my name's Matt. I'm the Business Relationship Manager from Equilor. Today I have Katrina with me. Hi, I'm Katrina. I'm one of the team leaders at Equilor. And on today's podcast episode, we're going to be talking about third-party interests and how they can impact on an equity release application. So, Katrina, to start things off, what are third-party interests and why do we need to deal with them? Third-party interests are interests relating to other people, companies or lenders who are not our client. So third-party interests on a property title can be varied and something we'll always have to deal with as part of the equity release process. These will often be picked up on instruction by a simple title check. Okay, so it might sound quite basic, but if a client has a charge on their title, what does this actually mean? Um, So secured lending is commonly registered on the property title as a legal charge. For example, existing mortgages, and they'll need to be settled in full on completion. We'll need a mortgage account number to contact the existing lender for a settlement figure. This figure will be checked against the mortgage offer to ensure there is no shortfall. On completion, the lender's solicitors will settle the balance prior to sending us any surplus funds for the client. In some instances, the mortgage may have been already be paid, but the legal charge remains on the property. This will commonly act as notification that the original title deeds are held with the lender and a nominal balance may be outstanding. We will confirm this with the lender and arrange for the charge to be removed from the title prior to completion. What about restrictions? I've heard of those. Um, If a client has a restriction on the title, what action will this require? So the most common restrictions we see are lender restrictions relating to existing mortgages, Form A restrictions, which indicates the client has elected to hold the property as tenants in common, and management company restrictions, which usually relate to maintenance of the property or surrounding area. So how do we actually deal with those types of restrictions? Lender restrictions are dealt with in the same way as a standard existing mortgage. We contact the lender to obtain a redemption figure, and then we settle the balance on completion. Form A restrictions indicate the client holds properties tenants in common are often no cause for concern. These will only require further action if one of the proprietors has passed away. In these instances, we'll require a death certificate, will and grant a probate. Management company restrictions will often require us to obtain a certificate of consent for the charge to be registered. We will require the details of the management company and consent to contact them for the request of the certificate. The certificate of consent will be provided by the land, to the land registry on completion And so it means the lender can register their charge. Okay, so it's not just as simple as as mortgages. Um, There's lots of other title entries that will need to be removed. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what about trusts? Don't they come up as restrictions on titles? Yes, typically trusts will be noted under a restriction. Um, It's not an area of law that we deal with, but we do have specialist firms that we can refer a client to. The trust will need to be unwound prior to completion of the equity release. Okay, so quite complex then. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. Moving on to housing at charges, I've seen those on titles. What do they actually mean? So houses purchased at a discounted price, such as ex-council houses, may have a housing at charge on the title. Commonly, these expire within three years, with the discounted repayment value decreasing by a third each year after purchase. We'll check the date of the purchase and the expiry date of the charge. If this period of time has elapsed, then no further action will be necessary. If the charge is not expired, the client will have to pay the value remaining on the discount. So it's really important advisors find out whether the client's house was an ex-council house. Yeah, absolutely. Would it make any difference if the Housing Act was a restriction? Yeah, so um, the Section 157 Housing Act restriction relates to local occupancies. So they're fairly uncommon, however, they're more likely to be registered on properties located in an outstanding natural beauty area. The effect of the restriction may mean repossession or resale of properties really difficult. So obviously they're not very desirable to a lender. So due to this, that lenders are unlikely to proceed. 
Um, and so you need to consider that really when you're meeting with a client in these areas. Okay, very interesting. Okay, moving on to leases. If a client has a lease noted on their freehold title, will this matter? So leasehold interest noted on the property title will need to be registered or removed for the equity release to complete. We will require the original title deeds, which would need to include the original lease for the property to take appropriate action. So this is slightly similar to having to register the property? Absolutely. Okay. How about equitable charges? I've seen and read about those. What, what do they actually mean? So an equitable charge is a form of secure charge against the property and is commonly created by court due to defaults on payments such as to lenders or utility services. Um, these charges need to be repaid on completion as a normal registered charge would be. So a redemption statement needs to be requested and usually you have to get these from a solicitor who acts on behalf of the lender. So it can take longer to obtain these. So would you say it's a good idea for advisors to find out if clients have had any debt problems with utility companies previously? Yeah, it'd be really helpful to get that information up front. And how about legal aid? I've seen lots and lots of news about legal aid charges. Um, are these similar? Yes, yeah, so legal aid usually is on the title because of divorce proceedings. These will also need to be paid on completion of the equity release. There's a common misconception that it needs to only be repaid on sale, but an equity release will trigger the repayment of the legal aid charge. Um, again, it's the same sort of process with obtaining a redemption figure for settlement. And does it make any difference how long ago this legal aid charge was placed on the title? No, there's no expiry date on them, so they just act as a normal legal charge. Okay, what happens if a client has lent money to an individual and they have secured their interest against their property? Would we deal with this any differently? So charges relating to individuals are known as private charges. We'll need the client's consent to contact the individual and confirm the settlement figure for completion. Additionally, the individual needs to complete the land registry discharge documents and verify their identity with an independent solicitor. They may also wish to take legal advice of the implications of removing their security. So it's a little bit more complex than physically just giving them their money back. Yeah. Okay, what if I've seen a home rights notice on the property title? What would this mean? This is a notice under the Family Law Act and it protects a spouse or civil partner's interest in the property. The home rights notice has to be removed. We'll require further information such as has the client been separated or divorced and we'll deal with this as a matrimonial case so follow the lender's additional requirements. It'll probably be helpful for you to listen to the podcast on divorce and separation. Now Katrina, I've also seen uh, a notice in favour of a lord of a manor on a title before. Can you tell me a little bit more about those types of notices? Yeah, so usually these are unilateral notices and they relate to really obscure rights about mines and minerals, even fishing and hunting. They're really difficult to remove and highly unlikely to be enacted. So the individual with the benefit of such rights hardly ever going to come back and chase up their right to go hunting or fishing on someone's land. So usually we'll just do an indemnity policy and the lender accepts that. Um, we'll obtain the quote for the policy and it'll be purchased on completion with the equity release proceeds. Great, so it's relatively straightforward to get, yeah. to get sorted. How about cautions? What do they look like on clients' titles? So a caution just protects an interest or potential interest in land. If they're in favour of a lender, there usually is some money owing and it's a standard redemption process. Um, if they're in favour of anyone else, we usually find the best way to deal with that is just serve notice. So we'll apply to the land registry to ask for this caution to be removed. They submit a notice to the beneficiary of the caution. Um, and then after 20 working days, if there's been no further action um, and no sort of objection to the notice, then we can have the caution removed. Excellent. So if nobody comes back within 20 days, that will just be taken off the client's time. Yes. Now, what if I have a client that's been made bankrupt? What will you need to do to get this case over the line? 
So usually bankruptcy will be noted on the property title unless some action has been taken to remove it. So we will require evidence that the bankruptcy has come to an end in the form of a certificate of satisfaction. Um, the trustee in bankruptcy may also need to be contacted to confirm that no further interest in the property remains. And so that allows us to remove the entry on the title. Obviously, if the client is still bankrupt. This is going to cause problems for us. So would you say it's really, really important that advisors do find out if clients have historically been made bankrupt? Yeah, it would certainly help us along the process and just manage the client's expectations. Excellent. Okay, thank you for that, Katrina. Based on the issues we've talked through today, is there anything that you can suggest to help get these issues resolved quicker? Yes, yeah, so with all third-party interests, we're relying on the client to provide us with as much information as possible, such as mortgage account numbers and anything the entries may relate to. So the more information we have on instruction, the quicker we can resolve the matter. So it's a case of just doing a little bit more digging and providing us with as much information as possible at, at the outset. Yeah. Okay, apart from that, is there anything else advisors should be aware of? So there are an extensive number of interests that may be noticed on the property title. If we've not been covered today, then just contact us and we're happy to formulate a plan of action. Okay, thank you, Katrina. Really, really helpful. I think we've covered some useful ground today. Um, to all of you listening, I hope you found that useful and feel free to check out our other podcasts that are available for you today.